I wasn't raised in a particularly religious home. Um, the most I understood about religion is that my mother would send me to a church on Sunday that she herself would not go to. And that's as much as I understood or knew about religion. As I grew older, my disdain for God just grew. I didn't want anything to do with God. Um, and so I, I grew, and I, I grew f- from a, a person who, went, who was sent to go to a religious instruction school to a person who was agnostic, that is to say, a person who wasn't sure if God was real, and to, I moved to a person who was a complete atheist. If you would have asked me 20 years ago, hey, Ed, in 20 years, you're not only going to be a Christian, you're going to be preaching the gospel in front of people. I would have asked for where your cop man was because <laughs> that, that was just insane to me. That was absolutely lunacy. I, I, I wanted nothing to do with God. I wanted nothing to do with God. But gladly, um, God wanted something to do with me. And while I wasn't pursuing him, he was pursuing me. And I ran as fast and as hard as I could, and I couldn't outrun this God who loved me and drew himself to me. But during this time, I had problems, problems with Christianity, when people who were Christians would come up to me and ask me, you know, hey, do you go to church or anything like that? One of my biggest problems was this concept of hell. I mean, you know, really? Isn't this like an old idea? Isn't this something that none of us need to consider? And the more I talk to friends, and the more I talk to people who are, have, want really nothing to do with God, they go, you know, hell, I, I don't believe it. And they have objections. And by the way, we're going to answer, we can't, okay, we're going to talk about hell today, right? We're in a brand new series. And uh, it's going to be a two-week series. It's a short series. But it's called Hell Yes or Hell No. We believe in creativity over here. So you choose. And, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not, listen, listen, listen. Look at me. We love each other, right? I mean, really. Right? We've been through a lot. We're a church. We love each other. I just want to bring forth God's word, man. And I want you to know that this is not an emotionless subject to me. I have people that I deeply love. That when we talk about hell, and when you talk about hell, I think that something that turns off people who don't know Jesus is the glee in which we speak. It's the jokes that we use. And I just, I just want to, this is a serious subject. And it's, and if the Bible's true, and if God is real, then this is something that we should take really, really seriously. And what I'm going to try to do, so you know, no, no uh, tricks up my sleeve. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to reject hell and receive heaven. Nothing up my sleeve. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm just letting you know that's where we're going. And throughout this, what we're going to do is we're going to try to answer some of the popular objections to hell. But in doing so, I want you to know, especially, listen, if you're here and you're just kicking the Christian tires and you're not sure you want to be a Christian or you're not sure you believe in this Jesus stuff, then cool, I'm with you. I'm like, I didn't believe it either. Um, 
If you're here and you're not sure, I want you to know that what we want is just to give you a little bit more information and so that you can make a, an informed decision about whether or not to walk towards Christ or walk away from Christ. If you are here, this is such an important subject because this, this doctrine will not, is not just this side doctrine that doesn't affect your life. This is a doctrine that affects every area of your life, not just your afterlife. Now, let me just say this before we actually go into the text. The Bible, if the Bible is a heavenly book, if the Bible comes from God, and I, I believe that, I believe that God inspired men to write exactly what he wanted, and they wrote it down, and it's been um, kept throughout the millennia. Now, if that's true, if that's a fact, then, then the Bible must offend a, every culture at some point. Does that make sense? The Bible must offend every culture, because if it's from heaven, listen, if the Bible was written... Uh, with a 4,000-year-old a Middle Eastern standard, then the people in the Middle East would be like, yeah, we love the Bible. And the people in the West would be like, whoa, that's archaic. That's like some ridiculous piece of literature that was written uh, thousands of years ago. It doesn't have application for today. But if the Bible came from the heart of God and is in our hands now, then at some point, it'll offend you. And at some point, it'll offend the West. And at some point, it'll offend the, the Middle Eastern mindset. And at some point, it'll offend every continent on this globe. Let me give you an example. Some people think that it's a, a slam dunk to say, you know, really? You're a modern thinker. And this is one of our objections. Um, as a modern thinker, I want to get this question right. Isn't hell an archaic idea, an, uh, an outdated idea that modern thinkers must reject? And they think that that's a slam dunk in terms of, um, isn't hell an archaic, outdated idea that modern thinkers must reject? That's the first question that we're going to look at today. And let's talk about that. You see, if the Bible really does come from God, people think that it's a, People think that it's a slam dunk to say, well, it's just an outdated idea meant to keep the masses oppressed so that they don't act out. Listen. What makes you think that your take on reality would be, say, superior to the Bible? All of us grow up in a culture. And so in this, this is not a universal idea. People in Africa, people in the Middle East have no problem believing a hell. They have no problem. That makes sense to them. Oh, you mean you do wrong? You get punished for that? Yep, that makes perfect sense. People in the West have a huge uh, problem with this. But you know what we have no problem with? Forgiveness. We love the concept of forgiveness. We love the idea of being forgiven. Now, where am I going with this? What does forgiveness have to do with hell? Well, watch this. If you take the same two principles and you, put, and, and you bring it to a Tutsi in Africa who just watched his wife get raped just before she was murdered in front of his children and then watched them get murdered right in front of him, 
and then had his eyes poked out, and you came to him, and you said, brother, there's this thing called hell, and God punishes the wicked for the wicked things that they do. He would weep for joy because his eyes would not be able to identify or find the people who have done. And he goes, even though I will not get justice, there will be justice for my family one day. But now, go to that guy and talk. But you know what else the Bible teaches? Forgiveness. He would be outraged. He would say, you get out of my way. Don't get, don't get anywhere near me. That is as offensive that God could possibly forgive those people who did those things to me? You see, because the Bible is offensive. The Bible is offensive to every culture at one point or another. Just because you think it's offensive, the idea or the concept of hell is an offensive idea, let me suggest that perhaps it's a cultural narrative that you're attached to and not a universally accepted fact. With that, we're going to go right into the text. Today, we're looking at Luke. Jesus, we're going to hear a text from Jesus' lips. Jesus is still talking about money. He can't stop himself. It's unbelievable. But we're not going to focus on money because we talked about it last week, so that's that. But in the very same chapter that we looked at last week, Jesus is still talking about, but he also mentions hell. Now, one of the things that we do in our congregation is because out of respect for God, we stand at the reading of his word because it's like, awesome, awesome. And so we do that. So let's do that together, okay? And before we read, I want to pray for us because this is a heavy subject. Guys, we're getting out of the kiddie pool, okay? We're getting out of the kiddie pool. We're going into the, we're wading into the deep part of the water. So I want you to put your thinking caps on and we're going to think through philosophically and theologically the implications of an idea of a both loving and just God, both heaven and hell, this week, hell, next week, heaven. Make sense? All right, put your thinking caps on. Let's pray. Then we'll all read together. It's a long text, but we'll all read it together. Let me pray first. Father, thank you so much for this time together where we can actually wrestle with real large ideas, where we can wrestle with things that don't seem natural to us in the beginning. Would you help us, Lord, to think through? Would your spirit pierce our hearts? Would you go against our preconceived notions and our ideas, would you humble us, Lord? Humble us to believe that maybe our culture, maybe our 21st century modern Western culture isn't the foremost authority on all things spiritual. Humble us, oh God, to be able to receive teaching that comes from you, even if it seems archaic to our modern ears. Speak to us even now, for we do pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, let's get to it together, guys. One, two, three. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, in Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's Word. Please have a seat. So, Jesus. There, I know when we talk about Jesus, many people who have a problem with the church don't have a problem with Jesus. The fact is, Jesus is beautiful and loving, and you should know this. This is especially true if you're new or you're just coming around or whatever. Listen, this is a big deal. Listen to me. Jesus, many, many times, was not like his followers. I mean, if you look at me, come on, man. I'm so flawed. I lose patience easily. I'm, I'm judgmental. My goodness, I have three daughters. You can only imagine how judgmental I am about friends and, and things like that. You can't even imagine. I'm Puerto Rican. And so, which happy Puerto Rican Day Parade, guys, what's up? Yeah, Boricua, yeah! All the Puerto Ricans are in the, Puerto Ra- the parade. There's only like four rebels here. All right, so. So, yeah. So I, I have like this judgmental side of me, and, and it's not fun. And Jesus, though, I want you to know this. Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. Jesus liked people who were far from him, who didn't want anything to do with God. Jesus liked those people. And he spent time with them and he ate with them. And and he loved on them and he healed them. Jesus would have liked you. And so Jesus, who's like a good friend, wants to warn people about things that are coming that will harm them. I don't know if you've ever been a parent and found a a small bag of weed in your kid's pocket or perhaps smelled alcohol on their breath. If you're a loving parent, usually your response is not, honey, there's something I want to talk to you about, but not now. Uh, Maybe we can talk about it next week or next month when you got the time. That's not your response. 
your response is like, oh my God, who does this belong to? And you know, you go out of your mind and you lose it. And you know why? You know why you do that? You know why you do that? Because you love them. Which, by the way, is an important point. Whenever we start talking about hell, the first thing that I need to point out is that, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's not do that. Let's, let's get right into the text. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Jesus is painting a picture of a wealthy man who cares not a whit for the poor, cares not a whit for justice. He cares not a whit to provide for the foreigner or the, or the poverty-stricken, for the alien. And This guy doesn't care about any of those people, which, by the way, Christ followers should not be that way. Christ followers should be people who care about the poor and about the alien and about the weak and about those who are being abused. Christ followers should be the most justice-minded people in the world. This guy did not care about that. He had confidence in his wealth. There was a poor man, Lazarus, right outside his door. That guy got Nothing but the silent treatment got no benevolence from him. Skip down to verse 22. It says this. The time came, I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, 20. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Listen to me. This guy was his poor. There is a, I can't think of an American equivalent of this person. This is not a hobo who lives on trains, traveling. This is worse than that. This is not a homeless guy that you'll see sleeping in the park. This is worse than that. The dogs came and licked his wounds. This is not the fluffy little dogs that you guys have in your houses that bark all night for no good reason. Right, yeah, these are not those annoying animals. These are, these are like awful dogs, and they wanted, they, they, did, they wanted nothing to do with them in society. They were discarded completely. These were not pets. And they came and licked his sores. He was the lowest of the low. The time came when the beggar died. Can I just say something really unpleasant? The time will come when you would die. I was thinking about this yesterday. There will be a time. There will actually be a time when we are no longer here. Where everyone who ever knew us will no longer be here. Where our actions, thoughts, and deeds will be completely forgotten. There will be a time for all of us, and we need to spend more time. Listen, more than you spend time thinking about what you will say at the next interview for that promotion, more than you spend on thinking about what you will wear for Saturday night's party, you should be thinking about how you will spend eternity. It's a long The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip in the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. I want you to know, listen to me, that the stubborn are still stubborn in hell. Let me tell you, this guy, this guy does not call out to God. He does not ask. Notice that he doesn't ask for God's help. He asks for Abraham help, Abraham's help. Secondly, he, he doesn't understand the role reversal that has happened. 
Abraham has been carried, um, Lazarus has been carried by the angels to, the, to be in a place with God. And, uh, and this rich man is not in a place of honor. Lazarus is, but he's still trying to make Lazarus be his water boy. The, the stubborn are still stubborn, even in hell. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. He's reminding him, um, <clears throat> um, you notice anything different? There's a role reversal here. There's, something has happened. Uh, son, remember that in your lifetime received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between, you, uh, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here cannot come, cannot uh, go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, I'm just, we're just going to look at it, the rest of it, and then I'll just go and try to pick it apart. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let, them, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Again, not speaking to God, speaking to Abraham. Not asking for himself to leave. He doesn't want to. He, doesn't want, he wants relief in his misery, but he doesn't want to leave. You know why? Because people who don't want God now won't, God, won't want God then. Heaven is a place where God is. And people who don't want him now, that only grows in the future. That's all hell is. In fact, um, yeah, in fact, um, Tim Keller had a great quote in his book, The Reason for God. If you can, get this book, The Reason for God. This guy's a philosopher, um, a professor, and also pastor. He's, he's over here in New York. He has a church by the name of Redeemer Presbyterian. And he said this in that book. Hell, then, is the trajectory of our soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on forever. In other words, all right, trajectory of our soul, right? So if you take a ball and you throw it, it's on a trajectory, right? It's going somewhere. The force by which you threw it, that's the direction that it's going. The life that you, the life that you live here on earth sends your life on a trajectory forever. Have you ever met a person who was bitter at 30, but then met that person at 60? How much more bitter they are? Have you ever, like, it's, it's frightening. It's frightening. Because that's the trajectory that their soul is going on. Hell is a continuation of that. And that's why hell is so hellish. Because hell is a, is a series of self-absorptions. So, hell is a continual denial of who God is and being absorbed by yourself. We've seen this. Have you ever seen people who thought they found heaven and, and you knew and they knew it was hell and then a few years later they discovered that that was hell? Here's what I mean. Uh, uh, hell is a person who finds alcohol for the first time. Bang. And it's like, whoa, where were you my whole life? And you drink and you go, oh my gosh, this is a delight. People go, hey, hey, you know when you have a problem, when the bartender starts going, hey, I think you might have a problem, <laughs> right? And so, 
so you keep on drinking, or the person keeps on drinking, and their life goes on this trajectory with this thing that they called heaven, but you and I know is hell, because it's a self-absorption. It's a me, my, our, my pleasure. And it destroys them and caves in their soul. And then you find them a few years later, and you're like, and they're like, get away from me. You, you, if you have something for me, then I'm staying. If you got nothing for me, then I'm going. That's what hell is. It's Jesus, think about this. Jesus could not think of a better illustration all over the uh, New Testament. Jesus goes, hell is like, hell is like, hell is like, because none of us can imagine how terrible hell is. And people will come up to me and go, do you really believe, come on, Pastor, you seem like a reasonable guy, you really believe in fire and, you know, uh, sulfur and burning sulfur? Do you really believe that that's what hell is going to be like? And I go, oh, no, 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 no. I think it's going to be much worse than that. Much worse than that. Much, much, much worse. Jesus was limited by the language that he was in to explain how unspeakably awful this place was going to be. Believe me, beloved. Believe me. Jesus is loving, and he's not, again, you find, the, you find the bag of weed in your kid's pocket, you find them with a little alcohol, you don't go, oh, well, maybe we'll discuss this sometime soon. No, 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 You go, time out, something's wrong. And, and Jesus is like waving his hands. If he sees you on the tracks, let me tell you something. If I love you, and I see you on the tracks, and I see a train coming, and you're like, do, 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 do. So you understand, my response is not a civil one. My response is not a civil one. I put my head in your chest. I, I mean, I run at you full speed. If I break a rib, I'm okay with that. Because the alternative is so much worse. Believe me, beloved, if you're offended at Christ now, the alternative is so much worse. So much worse. He goes to Lazarus, hey, I'm Abraham. Hey, Abram, Abraham, send my errand boy to go to my family. And by the way, just, you know, remember the joke um, that everybody goes, hey, um, of course I, I want to go to hell. You know, all my friends will be there. Abraham replied, uh, he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. While those who are in hell don't want to leave there, they don't want anybody else to come there either. It's a horrible place. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, Abraham is going, listen, beloved, we have this beautiful book, this beautiful book. And you, you, you go, oh, yeah, but that book is full of contradictions. And it's full of, listen, beloved, listen, beloved, listen. You can't take what Jesus says about God. What Jesus says, you can't cherry pick, right? We go, oh, but God is a loving God. Where did you get that idea? You can't get that idea from looking at history, that God is a loving God. Are you kidding me? Think about history. History is filled with murders and, and, and atrocities and war crimes. You certainly can't get it looking at the present news. I mean, it's awful. Where would you get the idea that God is a loving God? Where on earth? You can't get it from alternative religions. You can't get it. Buddhism doesn't believe in God. God. The idea that God is a loving God to the Muslim is an offensive thing. God is beyond that. You get, not the Hindu. Listen, there's no other place on earth than this book that you can get that God is a loving God. So you go, well, if God is a loving God, how could he send people to hell? 
That's a question that we're going to look like. Look at. Look at our second question today. A loving God would not allow a hell. A loving God would not allow a hell. The first one we look like isn't hell an archaic, outdated idea that modern thinkers must reject. And my answer is, no, it's not. And it, and it If you're offended at hell, are you as offended at forgiveness? Because you have to go to the Bible for both those things. Second, a loving God would not allow hell. Well, if we're starting a conversation and and you say, a loving God would not allow hell, my response would be, all loving people have wrath. All loving, you're not a loving person if you don't have wrath. It's not possible. It's not possible. Let Let me prove it to you. This is going to be real easy for us parents. But for those of you who are in close relationships or you have close-knit relationships, this will be easy for you too. Try, try to assault one of my children. Try. I'm not a tough guy. I'm not a killer. I'm not like a, you know, I'm none of those things. But try to assault one of my children. Man, just recently, I saw somebody who had hurt somebody that I loved, and I had to start praying for him because the anger and the rage and the wrath started to boil up. You know why? The more you love, the more capacity you have for wrath. So now watch this. Some stranger comes up to you. A couple comes up to you. And, and, and if you're a guy, imagine it's the guy. And if you're a girl, imagine it's the girl. Okay, so a, stra- a couple comes up to you, and they come up to you, and one of them is crying. And they go, why is she crying? Because, well, my spouse just cheated on me. You go, man, that's, that's horrible. That's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. And then you go, bye-bye. And you keep it moving. But let your wife, let somebody come up and talk about your wife or your husband. Oh, well, your wife just cheated on you. It's like, I'm going to chase after somebody. Like, this is getting sick. We just, stuff just got real. Right? Why? I didn't care about them. Not that I didn't care. I didn't, not, I, I don't, it's not that I don't care. I just don't love them like I love my wife. I don't, I don't love them like I love my wife. Listen to me. If we really say that God is a God of love, then we cannot say that he has no justice or else he would not be a God of love. If God did not get angry at a little girl having her, the door of her bedroom closed and then locked, and then the stranger or family member come in and give her the quiet sign and walk over to her and do unspeakable things, if we don't think that God gets angry at that because he loves that girl that much, then you don't know love. Your your version of love needs to be reevaluated. Of course God is a God of justice. Of course he is. Of course hell has to exist. If God loves it all, are you kidding? You you wouldn't be laissez-faire about the pain in the people. A loving God would not allow hell is a ridiculous statement. Only a loving God would allow hell. Our last question that we'll look at today. Thirdly, how can a loving God, how can a loving God send people to hell? 
It's like the second one, but it's a little bit different. How can a loving God send people to hell? Isn't God just and loving? Well, this is kind of similar to the second question. God is both just and loving. But you cannot have, you cannot have forgiveness. You can't, it can't exist. Philosophically, it cannot exist. You cannot have forgiveness unless you have uh, repayment. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Say, for instance, you come to my, or my kids come to your house. I have five kids. We go to your house. You have a beautiful vase, and it's in a, in a, in a well-decorated place, and the vase is on a mantle, and the vase is like $50,000. It's an expensive vase. You have lights on it. It's beautiful. And then my little rug rat, David, right, he comes on, and he goes, oh, look, I bet I can push that thing off. And he runs up to it. And he goes, I bet I can pick this up. And he picks it up, and the vase falls. Crash on the floor. I go, like, I look at the floor, and I go, oh, my gosh, that's a $50,000 vase. And I go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You have two options. You have two options at that point. You can either go, you don't have to be sorry. You just bought it. And I'll expect my payments very soon, or you will see my lawyer. Make sense? Right? You have that as an, that can be an option, right? The second one is that you can say, nah, man, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I got it. He's just a little boy. I forgive him. You could do that. But now let me ask you something. In the second option, who pays for the vase? I do. I mean, the, the person who owns the vase. Isn't that true? You see, Somebody's got to pay. If you have to have forgiveness, you have to have. And this is where our talk about hell gets interesting. Because you deserve hell. And this is the gospel. Beloved, this is, this is a big deal. The gospel is this, that God saw you from heaven and saw you on earth. And every one of you deserved hell. Every one of you had tipped over the $50,000 vase. And God said, not with a flippant, oh, don't worry. No, no, no. I'll pay. I'll pay the price for your sin debt. I'll pay the $50 trillion that you owe. That's what the gospel is about. If you have a God of love, you must have a God of justice. Let me prove it to you. In, um, in the Old Testament, anybody ever heard of King David? Anybody here ever heard of King David? Yeah, maybe one or two. Okay. King David, one of the most celebrated kings in all of Israel. He, he's a legend, right? Like, we, we, still, we still hear about him uh, today. King David went ahead and raped a woman and then had her husband murdered. Had her husband murdered. Then Nathan, who was a, a religious figure, they called him a prophet, he goes up to David after David has done this thing, and at least a year later, he still hasn't confessed. He still hasn't fessed up to his wrongs. He hasn't. Nathan comes up to him, and he goes, you, best sermon in the history of the world, David. He goes, you are a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Like, the, the way he does the sermon, he paints a picture of some other guy and what he's done that's wrong. And then David goes, that guy deserves the death penalty. And, the, and Nathan goes, you're the guy. You're that guy that I was just talking about. It was unbelievable. It was like a brilliant sermon, right? So he finally, he gets cut to the quick, and he goes, 
I'm so sorry. His confession is found in Psalm 51. You can hear his response. In Psalm 51, he goes, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I've sinned against God. This is awful. Nathan comes back and he goes, man, God forgives you. Think about that for a second. Think about that. God forgives you. How would you like to be Uriah, the guy David had murdered? How would you like to be his dad? And hear that about God. And go, ooh, ooh. God, what did you just say? The guy who murdered, I, I've been, yeah, forgive him. That is the most unjust thing in the history of the world that I ever talked about. God would be a cruel tyrant if he forgave that rape, murder. You're kidding me. The whole heavens scream for justice. So how could God be both loving, that is forgiving and kind and benevolent, and yet not be unjust? Here's how. God can say, David, you deserve the death penalty. Not only do you deserve the death penalty, what I'm going to do is I'm going to confine you within a group of people for the, whole, for the entirety of your life who will do nothing but curse and misunderstand you. And then I'll have you live out your entire life that way. And then in the last uh, uh, few days of your life, I'll have you beaten and whipped and tortured and then crucified in the most public, disgusting way so that you could be dishonored before the whole world and for, before all time. That's what I'm going to, that's what your crime deserves. And then he goes, and now David, I'm going to pay the penalty. Everything that I just, every curse that I just bestowed upon you. In other words, I will take your hell. And that's why hell is such an important topic. How can loving God send people to hell because he's just? Because he's just, and he doesn't wink at sin. And when someone cheats on their spouse, it's not a small thing. And when someone rapes a child, it's not a small thing. Punishment, there's a payment that needs to be paid. And God says, I will pay. I don't understand why you would have a problem with a God who would love you as much to proclaim the judgment on your life and then pay the sentence. Beloved, don't walk away from a God like that. Finally, I would say, when we look at this text, we see that God doesn't hurl people into hell so much as they go there of their own desire. Remember how we said it earlier? We see the text. Never does this guy humble himself and go, you know, I was wrong. The way I treated Lazarus, I was wrong. Never. Do we see that? We never see him say, God, please forgive me of the way I treated Lazarus. Lazarus, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. We never see that. He's still giving orders. He's still the big willy. People, if God forced heaven on people, it would be like hell to them because they don't want anything to do with God. Why is this important? Quickly, our belief in hell is important for several reasons. Number one, have you, has anybody here ever been hurt, wounded, scarred, abused? Okay, listen to me. You don't, listen, I got, I'm, I'm proclaiming freedom to you now. 
I'm proclaiming freedom to you. You don't have to walk around with those hurts. I want you to know that those, listen, God says it this way. He goes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Listen to me. If they never come to Christ, they pay for their own crimes separated from God in heaven. So those people, you go, oh, they need to get it. And oh, but you know what? They're flourishing and they're doing so well and they have all the money and look at what they did. They did all this injustice and all this crime and all this hurt and look at all the consequences my family had to pay for what they did. God goes, either they will pay for all of eternity or Jesus will pay the price for them just like he did for you. Secondly, so, so if you're struggling with bitterness, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, hell is huge because God will, listen, there will be justice. There will be justice and there will be mercy. Both. Impossible genius. Secondly, if you're here and, and you are not sure about Jesus, I'm telling you, he didn't bring you here. Listen, I promise you nobody comes here by mistake. I promise you nobody comes here by mistake. And you came today because God wants to grab a hold of your attention. And so would you just come to him? How much more? He, listen, he's paid the price. He's given you a way out. And you go, but no, I can't do that because I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to, I'll pay for my own sin. I'm not going to let anybody else pay for my sin. Don't let your pride do that to you. Don't let your pride do that to you. Listen, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He goes, you couldn't. If you had a 10,000 lifetimes, you couldn't pay for the sin. You go, but I'm not that bad. If you sit down with me, we'll talk about it. Believe me, you're that bad. Believe me. So am I. I'm the worst person in this room. I promise you. I promise you, you can't out-sin me. I'm the worst person in this room. Believe me. You think, Jesus brought you here so he could let you know that there's forgiveness and love, but that God doesn't wink at sin. He pays for it. And he pays for it in the most grave way. God sends his son to die on the cross for your sin. But not just that, to rise up on the third day to proclaim salvation to you. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have, some of you came in here, man. Some of you came in here with a card punched, destination hell. You could leave here with your ticket punched, destination heaven. And so here's what it is, man. So the gospel is that you are worse than you think. And as bad as you are, you're more loved than you can imagine. God sees you. He goes, only God can judge me. I know that's why we're preaching this message. Believe me. Believe me, I get it. You are worse than you think. Worse than you think. And God sees you in your dirty. He sees you in your grimy. He sees you in your mess. He sees you in your evil. And he extends love and mercy and forgiveness. Don't say no to that. Now, give you the opportunity. In one minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand to receive Christ, if you want to receive Christ. And if you, and if you don't, you say, no, listen, 
Just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. But I want you to stand if you want to receive Christ. This is for those who have never received Christ in their lives. If you've already received Christ and you want to grow and you see hell and you go, oh my gosh, God, you're so awesome. You've gotten rid of my bitterness. The injustice in the world I could live with because I know that none of it passes your gaze. The pain of my own soul I have relief about because you are going to address every one of those. You're not going to ignore them. If you're here and you know Christ and you love Jesus, then I just encourage you to just grow in your love for Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about heaven. I really want you, don't miss, don't miss, you've gotten only half the message. Next week, we finish this in part two. But if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to receive Christ. What are you saying no for? Uh, I mean, so, I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you to stand. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to Jesus. I pray that maybe some of our questions were answered. And and so, Lord, I, I pray that for those who are here, that you would help them to be, that you would make them humble. That they would humble themselves. They would confess and admit that they haven't batted a thousand morally, that they've done things that are wrong, and that those things have repercussions. And I pray that they would turn to you for forgiveness, knowing that no good thing that they do now could ever take away from the pain that they've caused others before. So Lord, would you open our hearts to Jesus Help us to receive him as our, the leader of our lives. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.